Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga podcast from the Football Grad Network. My name is Manuel Weff, and on this week's show, joined by Simon Rolfe, sporting director of Bayer Leverkusen and AWS ambassador. Then I am joined by Stefan Bienkowski to tear down all of Match Day 4. That's all coming up on Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga podcast. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. And I'm now joined by Simon Rolfes, Sporting Director of Bayer Leverkusen. Simon, how are you doing? Yes, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. We have the international break. It's it's always a little bit more relaxed week for me. So uh, the transfer window is closed. So um, I had a good week. Yeah, and probably also a very good start to this season. Two wins and one draw. I know it's still pretty early, but how happy are you with the start of the season for your club? I'm, I'm very happy because we had good opponents with München Gladbach, Union uh, Berlin. The first two games and we have... As the same um, than the other top clubs, we had a difficult uh, preseason because of the tournaments, the Copa America, the Euro, uh, Olympia uh, tournament, and um, that's why the players came very late to to in the preseason. Very much different uh, fitness levels, so we are very happy with seven points from nine. Uh, that's that's a good start. Yeah, and um, you know, just to, I, we asked this to everyone in the beginning of the season, don't we? And it's still so very early. But what are your club's ambition this season? To be better in uh, each competition than last year, and uh, for sure in the, in the Bundesliga uh, to reach against the Champions League, um, the Cup, Cup and uh, Europa League. We we were out too too early, so we want to go. Uh, forward um, the, the rounds in the um, knockout stage and in general we have a very uh, talented team with a lot of potential and we want to develop them the, the maximum uh, development process that's that's our ambition and that's why we have to work very very good with the players uh, to get the maximum out of them yeah you made well six significant signings i know there's always uh players coming in from youth squads, etc. Um, what are your expectations in the new players that you brought into the club? Yeah, we have high expectations. Uh, I always say that we, we need quality and potential. Quality is it's for performance and we are ambitious and want to perform now also. So the players have to have quality, but also potential because we are a club, we want to develop players. And and that's why it's also our staff. It's, it's They are... They, uh, uh, they have the task to develop players, so we we need both quality and potential, so performance and development. And um, I think all all six signings um, um, have that. They have quality, but also they have the potential to develop. And um, that's why we are very happy with with uh, the structure now of the of the new team of the new squad. Yeah, and I mean. You're not just the sporting director of Bayer Leverkusen, which is already such a significant task, but you're also the technical ambassador for AWS, which is an, is an Amazon product. What exactly does that entail? 
Yeah, my, my main role, uh, apart from talking um, to you today, is um, to consult in the development process of the Bundesliga match facts. They collect uh, 3.6 million data points each match. And um, then you can calculate with this data different things. And um, that's an important role to give my, my sporting perspective in, in that. And um, and to say, okay, what, what makes sense? What could be interesting for the, for the fans? Um, which insights there helps for sure my sporting um, perspective, but also that I worked in the broadcasting a little bit and also know the point of view from the broadcasters. So I helped to, yeah, to develop Bundesliga match facts. Yeah. And then, so in, in other words, then where do you think does this, this product have the biggest potential to improve the Bundesliga as a product? Not just, I mean, I want to talk about the, the club aspects in just a moment, but in terms of the product, the, the product that people consume, because they, in many ways, fans are also consumers, right? So in what way can AWS maybe really help uh, enhance the product? Yeah, I think what, what you mentioned, that um, at the moment, it's, it's, uh, AWS helps a lot, the Bundesliga, and this is the biggest role to improve the media product, yeah? to, to give more insights in a live match with the Bundesliga match facts to, to the fans. I think that's, that's the most important thing at the moment. In the long term, I'm sure the sport itself can also benefit. Uh, we have so much data. The most challenging part is to identify patterns in that data uh, that actually influence the game. So uh, generating insights from data to improve the sporting per, uh, performance, I think that's there uh, where the AWS can help yeah, with artificial intelligence or machine learning. But also, to be honest, um, we are very much at the beginning in, in, in that process. Yeah, I find that very interesting. We spoke a few weeks ago when I did an article on AWS for Forbes, and you were already kind of hinting at that a little bit at the time, and how AWS is not just a product that fans can consume or help the Bundesliga, you know, help help the Bundesliga bring the, the product closer to the fans and give them more insight, but it also really is important for the clubs in terms of, of scouting and how much influence does AWS already have on, on your scouting process or is there any influence at all? As uh, mentioned um, before, on the sporting side, um, the AWS collaboration is very much at the beginning. But when you look at the match facts like speed alert or the X-goal performance of a player, uh, these, these are factors that uh, are taken in the, into account um, from us. And uh, that's really interesting. And if you see, see our squad, for example, with a speed alert, it, you will not be surprised that we uh, look at this. But generally, I would say that, that, uh, that, for example, the machine learning or artificial intelligence um, and especially the tools AWS provides can help us as a club to analyze data and, and identify factors. Um, but, but that is something that happens very much at the club level. And for sure, each each club is trying to build an advantage. So I cannot give all the secrets here <laughs> in the podcast. But to be honest, the speed alert, speed is is, uh, is very interesting um, for us in the scouting uh, process. You mentioned KI there quite a bit. And I find that very interesting because uh, when I don't do this podcast, I work for Transfermarkt and um one of the overlaps that the two of us have that I also work on a platform called Scoutastic. So 
I know that our that, that Bayer Leverkusen and uh, Transfermarkt work closely together in that department. There's a lot of KI in that as well. How important do you think KI is going to be in the future? Very important because we uh, we get so much data and the data will um, be more and more pr um, precise. And the scouting market it's it's global and um, we have the the content data, but also content and other other things. So in video, videos we have a lot of videos we we could watch or could could analyze. So I think KI will help the tremendous amount of content you have as a club. To really analyze that you can can work more focused, work more, more focused with your scouts because you cannot have 500 scouts at the end. It makes no sense. But but to find the right players earlier than the other clubs, um, there I think KI can help. I want to just highlight KI is of course German word for künstliche Intelligenz or artificial intelligence. I know the, the two of us were German speakers, so it just comes naturally. Um, but I want to go a little bit deeper on. You, you mentioned speed is such a big factor and the, the things that I noticed quite a bit about Bayer Leverkusen watching them over the, the last few years, do you sign predominantly players that are very fast? And I know you already pointed out in, in our past conversation that, that that's just one of many factors. But when you look at a player like Baka, who you brought in from PSG or Amina Adil, Adli, sorry, who I think is, is a very interesting signing. A lot of clubs were after him, including Bayern Munich. And in the end, at the end of the day, he joined Bayer Leverkusen. How important was speed when you look at those two players? Because they are, that's positions where you need speed. But where, what other factors were also important when you said when you looked at those players and said those are the players that we need to make the club better? Yeah, on that positions, I think speed is is important. There are other uh, was very important, and other positions, it's it's not. Uh, that much for in the uh, midfield, central midfield, for example, you have to have a, a speed in, in your in your brain so you can make to have, make fast decisions, and that's that's more important. But on the on the wings, you need speed because you are, you see in a lot of clubs uh, really fast wingers, so you need a fast defender if you if the opponent has fast wingers. So this was um, one of the key key elements, but. But at the end, also that you say that we say, okay, um, yeah, you always have um, couples, you know, couples in a in a, a team. For example, the, the central defenders are a couple. So uh, as a the fullback, left fullback with the left wing. So we also um, look, okay, which which playing style they have in general. Okay, the players have to have to fit to our playing style in general. But then if you go more in detail, you, you have to look, okay, which players are playing in front of the fullback, for, for example. And then, see, okay, that's a good couple. And um, this is also we, we take in, a, in account if, if they could match very good together. You already kind of pointed out when you, when you say about doubling players, attacking wingers, um, and defensive play, wingbacks, right? But what about defensive players? Incapie um, and Kosunu were, were two defenders, centre-backs that you signed. And both of them, uh, again, like it is the case with Adli, they were linked to many different clubs around the world. And in the end, they, they chose Bayer Leverkusen, which a lot of observers thought was, was, a, was a big coup by the club, a very, very good signings. Um, I want to go a little bit in depth on this with AWS. Yes, speed is a factor, but what other things do you look at when you when you bring in a center back? For for example, um, average position, um, 
than the the passing uh, passing performance uh, of a player. So we have always a, a physical profile and a, a technical technical profile. And for example, when you see Hinkapier and Kusunu, uh, both young players, but but uh, different. Hinkapier, for example, has a very very good um, technical profile already. We think that we can develop him in, in the in the physical areas, adaptation to the to the higher speed here in Europe than than South South America. Kusunu, for example, is, is different. We we think that he, has, that he has a full the full package of of the physical performance, and um, there he is really really top, really top top level already. But with our playing style, we can improve his technical performance and. Um, that's why we, we look always different KPIs. Speed is important for sure to have a general speed, what I mentioned before. But then also the passing performances um, in, in the defense, for sure, the, the duels, how many duels you win. Probably it would be also good if you have some X goals as a defender. Uh, when there's a corner, that's also not, not so bad. I guess it's like so such a really complex thing to do, right? To scout a player, but once you have them, when you look at the AWS stats and you you get that that data back, do you ever sit the player down and say, okay, well, this was great, but these there are some key performance stats that we are getting from AWS. This is what you can improve in your game. Do you ever do that? Yes, we are working a lot. Um, so our coaching staff, we are working a lot individually with the with the players because if you want to develop them, you have to speak with them to to show to show videos, but also data. And for example, average position. If we want, it's very interesting interesting KPI. If you say to uh, to a player, okay, you have to be more offensive in your playing style in general, then you have a very it's very easy to show a player, okay, that's your average position three months ago and that's average position now and we probably want to also improve that or be more offensive or more defensive. So you can use data and the players are open to data nowadays. 10, 15 years ago was a different different story, but now the players ask for data, they are open to see the data and they're used to it. And that's very important because otherwise, if you present something what you think is very good, but the players don't want to listen, there's no effect. But um, um, yeah, different generation of players. It's very interesting. And what about opponent scouting? What sort of data do you take from that? And let's say you play Bayern Munich and a team that has almost no flaws, right? Is there anything that you maybe then look at AWS and say, well, actually... They have a flaw and you can point it out to the players and say, this is maybe where we can hit that, hit them. Is is AWS already at the stage where you can use it for opponent scouting? Yes. Uh, for me, it's always very interesting, a very interesting status attacking zones, yeah, showing which flanks uh, a club loads when attacking. And um, for example, last year, um, RB Leipzig uh, had... had this, very different. So they were on left left side. They were always attacking much more than than on the other side. And the average position from the left fullback Angelino was was very offensive. So there you can see with with one one view on the statistics um, which playing style and which um, which favorite sides they have. So um, that's that's there for sure that we we are using and say okay we have to be careful angelino very good offensive player but probably we also have some space behind him 
that we can use in our offensive. So uh, we always have a, a procedure of checking data at the beginning of the week to prepare the match plan for the next opponent. And attacking zones or average position is, is one of the KPIs we use. I have to ask this. People say this all the time on broadcasts and you hear from various journalists that people who work in the game, coaches, players. Is it true that there are teams without a flaw or do you find a flaw on every opponent? In other words, is Bayern Munich really flawless? No, for sure not. Because, um, yeah, you always... That's, at the end, everybody is, is um, trying to reach a 100%. Yeah, 100% is offense, 100% is defense, but you have to decide for a system, for example, and different systems have strengths, but also weaknesses. So you will never have the 100%. So you will always find weaknesses uh, in the opponent's game, or you could find <laughs> weaknesses in the opponent's game. But uh, the question is if the quality of the players are good enough to... Um, to see that, to see that, and uh, if they see that, to to so, or to to use that that uh, weaknesses, uh, but you will never have a team uh, where you n will not find weaknesses or opportunities for the other for the other team in 90 minutes. That's fascinating stuff. I have one final question from for you, Simon. Um, I know that Bayer Leverkusen are a very popular club in North America, and we have lots of listeners from the U.S. and from Canada. Is there Any ambitions for the club to build a formal partnership with a club in, in maybe in, in Major League Soccer? I know I've been giving some hints that that's probably in the works and that there is maybe already a club out there that you have identified. Is there anything that you can reveal on that matter? Yes, that's, that's the US. is a very um, interesting market for Bayern Ophir, uh, for sure. And um, also the, the World Cup in 2026, um, it's interesting for our mother company. It's it's one of the largest markets uh, for the wire company. So yeah, we we um, I would say overview the market. We are also in talks. So it's it's very interesting. And for me, it's I'm I'm quite sure that the US um, yeah the development of the football in the US or soccer will be amazing in the next decade for sure because there are so many talents. There are so many kids playing football and that's why it's very it's very interesting for us the market and and maybe in the future there's a possibility for us we will see thank you so much simon for taking the time thank you werden wir dich begleiten, unsere SVB. That was interesting stuff uh, from Simon. Um, I'm now joined by Stefan Biancoski, who break down this match day. How are you doing, Stefan? Yeah, I'm doing very, very well. Thoroughly enjoyed this match day. Thoroughly enjoyed domestic football back on our televisions. Um, I think the international stuff was putting me to sleep and then the talk of a world cup every two years was making me cry so i'm glad i'm glad to be firmly back in the warm embrace of the bundesliga i i do have to admit i did actually enjoy some of the international games um both my home countries canada and germany did quite well i feel revigorated with hansi flick being in charge it's, it's like a completely different team with all the same players so i thought that was positive i i assume scotland didn't do quite that well 
We did actually do quite well. We beat we beat Austria, which was a really big result for us, which was quite funny for me because I spent the whole game tweeting, actually, from a Scottish point of view. Uh, and it wasn't until the last minute, I think, when someone tweeted me saying, hold on a minute, you're Scottish. I've spent the whole time assuming you were Austrian uh, or German, obviously, because they follow me for the Bundesliga. I was like, ah, no, um, this is quite confusing. <laughs> Today, I, t- tonight, I'm very much uh, with my Scotland hat on. But no, they did very well. Um, I don't know. I, I think after the Euros, I'm just a wee bit um, saturated from international football. It, it, well, I'll, I'll get back into it, I'm sure. Always do. It comes and goes. I think that's both of us a little bit. I'm, I'm glad the, the Bundesliga is back. And I mean, we were really lucky this week. Um, as you heard on the top of the show, Simon Rolfes, the Bayer Leverkusen sporting director, for an exclusive interview in Gegenpressing. Um, was some really interesting stuff from him. And I think... This is a good time to maybe talk about his club's result. There's a hush in anticipation of the penalty. Taken by Erling Haaland to give Borussia Dortmund the lead. Yeah, Stefan, I mean, um, when I when I, I interviewed him in, in midweek, right, when recorded it before the Borussia Dortmund game, and one of the things that we highlighted, it was a really good start by Leverkusen into, into this season, first three games. Of the Bundesliga, and then of course uh, today in in one of the two top Spiele um, on what the league dubbed Super Saturday, right, playing against Borussia Dortmund, and they, they lost the game four three. Um, but I mean, what a match! This is this is probably the best advertisement the league had in some time, right? Oh, it was an incredible game. I honestly, I had like one eye on it because I was doing some work, and then just. As it went on and on, I just became more and more and more engrossed in it. I just couldn't believe what was happening because, you know, Leverkusen went a goal up and I thought, oh, right, well, here we go. Typical nonsense from Dortmund. You know, they're just kind of dropping the ball when it matters. And we've all seen this show. We've all seen this movie before. Dortmund kind of trip up, buy and win in the evening and then on we go. But to be fair to Dortmund, they fought back, or perhaps more specifically, Erling, Erling Haaland, fought back um, and it was just an outstanding game of two teams that were just going blow for blow it felt like almost like watching a Rocky film we had these two Goliaths just punching lumps out of each other um, and yeah it was fantastic I mean I do feel bad for Leverkusen but at the same time you can't really go three up you can't take the lead in three separate occasions of a match and go on to lose it and blame anyone but yourselves uh, but you know, I, I just kind of walked away from that game thinking that's the kind of extra 10% that Haaland brings to this Dortmund team. And that's kind of the difference. And that's kind of why people like myself really think Dortmund can challenge this season because if if they, if they didn't have Haaland in that team, um, you know, if it was a striker who'd maybe been there before, someone who re- to replace Haaland or someone who came before Haaland, I think Dortmund probably lose that game 3-1 or 3-2. Um, but he it's just the way that he... Obviously, he scores goals. Uh, obviously, he creates goals. But it's 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 obviously it's it's also just like his presence on the pitch. You can see he genuinely galvanizes the players around him. He's he's such a physical presence that he's 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 just kind of marauding around that pitch. He's knocking defenders over. Uh, I thought we saw a side of his game today. This kind of brutish target man, which. Is obviously something that he said himself. He's been working on. I think Marco Rosa said himself that he's he's been working on his heading, 
And because he's Erling Haaland, like within a month, he looks like one of the best headers of the ball in the game. I mean, his goal was, I think I described it as almost Ronaldo-esque, the way he just kind of leaped into there and scored that goal. And then a minute later, he did the exact same thing again to set up Bellingham for a goal that was disallowed. So uh, again, I, I honestly struggle to watch Dortmund these days and not just kind of sit with my jaw on the floor uh, in awe at Haaland. I mean, I honestly just, my, my Twitter account's just becoming like a fan account for him, to be honest with you, because it's, I feel like every weekend is, he does something new, which is a real shame because this Leverkusen team are full of outstanding players. I thought Florian Wirtz was, uh, Witz was outstanding again. And I thought Polino looked like a really, really he's, he's kind of very quickly developed into a very impressive player for Leverkusen. Patrick Schick as well. Um, he's just decided all of a sudden um, that he's going to be a top-class striker this season. Uh, Diaby, we all know what he can do. So if this was if this was a normal Dortmund team without Haaland, I think Leverkusen would have probably quite confidently beaten them. But this is kind of what Haaland does. He, he just drags Dortmund to results, and he's been doing a great job of it this season. There's a few things that stood out to me, and there's been a discussion going on on Twitter about whether or not the Bundesliga is a soap opera. And uh, it was compared negatively to the Premier League, who some believe is a bigger soap opera or is a soap opera, and the Bundesliga is just football. And then you watch a game like this, and you think, how can it not be compared to a soap opera? There is, of course, you know, the, 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 all the drama with the coming back from behind, winning the game. Um, a goal, goal disallowed, penalties, and um, when Haaland smashes home that penalty, did you see the celebration with Bellingham catching the beer mid-air and drinking it? I mean, how is that not a soap opera? I, I mean, give me a break. This league has all of it, but um, we do have to talk about the football, not just the, the, the soap opera aspects of the Bundesliga, which I do think exists. There's many stories like that, and whether it is Bellingham catching a beer mid-air and drinking it, or Haaland running up to the Leverkusen crowd celebrating and the, the amount of scores he's got. There is lots of storylines there that I think people need to follow and check out because this league has a ton of them. And um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it is one of those... Because they, there is this whole question whether the league is boring. But I think people just see the overall picture and they don't see... They don't look at the individual games, which we had a few of today that were just outstanding. But um, 4-3, great entertainment, absolutely. And I think Leverkusen um, had showed everything that they had on the field. Um, all the, the the talent and quality that they added to the team, the, the, the stuff that Simon Rolf has pointed out in the interview. But we do have to also at the same time talk a little bit about Borussia Dortmund and Stefan. I think that one question that I had, and I was I was curious what you think. But Marin Pongracic, who they brought in from Wolfsburg, very much just seemed like a short-term solution, doesn't it? And um, once Mats Hummels came in, it kind of felt like they had finally, you know, stopped the bleeding and shut down Leverkusen successfully. You know, it's a tricky one because I actually thought. Gragic actually looked okay. Like I think I saw a great start. He won all his duels throughout the match, his defensive duels. But I do wonder if he, like a lot of defenders who've come through Dortmund in the last five or ten years, is almost a victim of the the structure of this team. And constantly throughout this match, whether Dortmund were a goal up, whether they were level, or whether they'd taken the lead, 
they were just throwing men forward. Um, you know, Munier was involved in just about, I think he was involved in, well, he was involved in at least the first three goals that Dortmund scored. So he was bombing up that right wing, uh, putting in some really impressive crosses, actually. I kind of side to Munier that I'm not sure we see enough of, actually, at Dortmund. Gallero, obviously, we all know what he can do going forward. But when you have two extremely uh, attacking fullbacks, you usually have to have a central midfielder who will kind of sit deep uh, and, and provide stability, so you end up with a back three. And despite Axel Witzel being in that squad uh, and even playing as a central defender this season, uh, I don't think he really did that enough. And it, it just seemed as though whenever Leverkusen broke Dortmund's press and Dortmund were pressing very high up the pitch, uh, you often had situations where you had Diaby, you had uh, Wurz, you had Paulinho, Schick, whoever... You had and Frimpong probably a good example as well. You, you all you routinely had like Leverkusen breaking in three three versus two situations, and it felt to me as though Dortmund were incapable of of just kind of tweaking their system to, you know, almost take their foot off the gas a little bit and just try and control the match. And we've seen this from Dortmund countless times. Uh, you know, all the way going all the way back to obviously Jurgen Klopp's team when things weren't going well. They just kind of looked like a bit of a mess at the back. It was that kind of rock and roll football, as he used to call it. Um, and and that's when I do kind of wonder if how we, if we can't really judge the central defenders too harshly because it's really what happens one or two stages before it gets to the point where they're trying to tackle a striker, for example. But um, I don't know. I, 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 I'm, I'm, basically, what I'm trying to say here is I'm not sure if the problems in Dortmund's defence is because they don't have good enough central defenders or if it's because they don't have a kind of central midfielder, a really clever central midfielder, um, maybe like a Joshua Kimmich or Leon Goretzka, for example, who knows when to sit and knows when to follow a runner and is constantly looking over his shoulder to make sure his backline isn't exposed. I don't think Dortmund really seemed to have that player. And I thought it was really apparent in this Leverkusen game um, and that's obviously why Mats Hummels was brought in to try and bring a bit of stability at the back. And I suppose it did work in the end, but for the vast majority of his game, Leverkusen had a huge amount of fun just attacking this Dortmund team that had no interest in defending. Yeah, I actually think maybe Axel Witzel was that player a while ago to bring that kind of stability. But of course, the 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 force like the four four two diamond. Um, makes that difficult, right? Because you only really have one one nominal number six, and um, where Bayern have really two with Goretzka and Kimmich, kind of sharing the lo- the load a little bit and bringing in a bit more stability. And I guess that's just how Dortmund play. And then I, I guess that brings us to the um, to the final point of this game, really. And um, considering how the result in the other top game went. I wanted to talk about this maybe a little bit further down the podcast as well, but I don't. I Dortmund. I Dortmund really. Are they for real? Is this what they're already showing going to be enough to challenge Bayern Munich? I guess that's the real question, isn't it? Because you know we'll talk about the game that came afterwards, which kind of maybe suggested that the other team that we maybe all pick to be challengers aren't exactly that right now. But you know, I, I really genuinely think Dortmund can challenge the title because. They have Erling Haaland, and so far this season, it has been a case of simply scoring more goals than they can see. When you get when you have a guy like Haaland up front, you you, you can actually do that. Um, I think they still also have issues 
uh, as you saw in the Super Cup, when they come up against Bayern, they didn't look really uh, like a team that could challenge them on the day. Um, but I think for Dortmund, as much as it will come down to obviously these one-on-one games against uh, Bayern, I think it also come down to these matches that we saw today. You know, it's teams who are pushing for top four, top six, who maybe under Klopp would have kind of felt quite intimidated against Dortmund, but in the last four or five years, they've thought, you know, we can take points off this team every season. Uh, I think that's the kind of thing that Dortmund have to have to kind of work on this season to make sure that they don't drop points. Um, because although, you know, perhaps you can maybe kind of chalk up title challenges to head-to-heads between Dortmund and Bayern, we've all seen countless situations when Bayern drop points and the whole kind of league then turns attention to Dortmund and then they slip up as well. Uh, it's one of the great frustrations of watching uh, the Bundesliga in the recent in recent years. So it, I think it is these kind of games. It's these kind of games against your Leverkusen's, uh, your Mainz, et cetera, et cetera. These kind of teams who will happily sit back and try and uh, hit you in the break. It's those games that Dortmund have to be have to make sure they actually properly, professionally win. Uh, and I think with Haaland and that team, they can do that. Uh, because he can just create something out of nothing almost. So, uh, yeah, to cut a long, um, a long answer short, I think they I think they do have the capacity to challenge Bayern. And right now, I think, what, they're on one point below them, I think, after four games. So that's, if that's of course, if either of them can stop Wolfsburg. Yeah, I think that that's a, that's a very good question. Can either of them stop Wolfsburg? I, I do want to talk about that. But before we talk about that... We need to talk about the team that wins the title all the time, uh, the perpetual champions, Bayern Munich. Let's see what they did today. Flag stays down, Chubbermoting stays on his feet, and that's five goals we've seen today. 4-1. Yeah, um, the end of it's pretty convincing, that the result for Bayern Munich over RB Leipzig, or Leipzig against Bayern Munich, and there was a few key moments in this game, Stefan, that I thought decided this one. I mean, obviously, in the end, 4-1 is a very decisive result and um, opens up a whole bunch of questions that we're going to try to look at and maybe analyze. But um, about RB Leipzig and where they are at as a club, because I think that is actually quite interesting in itself. But for me, the two key moments in this game is that penalty, Kampel's penalty that he causes. And I think it is a penalty. I think they, they got this right because like the way he moves his arm to the ball, I think that's a clear movement. And he maybe he doesn't mean it, but the rules, I think, are quite clear about this. And they, they did spend the time and they did look at it. And I think they did get it right. Like When I saw the replay of it, I'm like, they're going to give this and they will have to give it. That's a key moment because it changes the complexity of these, this entire game. And I, I followed this throughout the match and I thought it was really interesting because... Leipzig, when Leipzig played Bayern, Leipzig are rarely the team with the majority of possession, but they were the team with the majority of the possession in this game. And I think it's because when they went down, they had to have the ball. And I think that played into Bayern's cards because they, that allowed them to do the typical Nagelsmann Umschaltspiel, right? The, the transition game that, they, that his sides are so very good at. And I think that played into their cards. And I think that was one key moment. And the second key moment for me was when Musiala came on in the second half or just before the second half, right, for Gnabry and made it 2-0. Um, and, I mean, 
it's we have to remember the kid is 18 but he's probably the biggest talent in german football at the moment you know with a bunch of other talents apparently german football doesn't have any mega talents anymore but i find it hard to believe when you see kids like musiala doing what he does every day but i think those are the two key moments and they were so clinical the xg in the end was uh, 0.86 to 4.00 so bayern actually getting exactly the amount of goals that they were supposed to get i i think you know when you look at this bayern side th- that was expected i personally think that was expected that's the sort of performance that we expected from them yes they were very clinical but stefan we do need to talk about leipzig and you texted me during the game and said they look dreadful and I do think they had a lot of opportunity. Well, they had they had one one goal waved off that would have probably also changed quite a lot in the game, right? But I do think that they don't have an identity at the moment. What do you think? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I wrote a newsletter actually in the lead up to this game, just kind of looking at Leipzig and what had gone wrong because they'd only won one of their three games leading into the match. And one of the things that really stood out to me was that they have the highest difference between their XG and their actual goals scored across the league. Uh, and after after three games, you know, you can kind of take that with a pinch of salt. But I think it did kind of show, and I think we kind of saw us again today um, or tonight when the kind of players they've got uh, in those attacking positions aren't really taking their chances as of yet. I know Silva did eventually score and it was offside, but there were so many chances for Leipzig to yeah, maybe not clear goal scoring chances but there were there were there were opportunities for them to make the right pass or to exploit the right amount of space or to just play a bit of a counter-attack to really hurt Bayern and they just never did it and I thought compared to that Bayern team they looked so under coached they looked so under prepared uh, and I thought you made a really good point there about how they're used to not having the ball because when they actually did have the ball they looked like they didn't know what to do with it in contrast, Bayern, whenever they got the ball, they were very, very clinical. They were very, and what I mean by clinical is not just the Lewandowski put the ball in the back of the net. I mean, Sani knew where to be, you know, when I think it was Musiala put the ball across the, uh, the, the goal for him in the back post. Musiala knew where to be when uh, Davies was making that overlap uh, for the goal just after half time. Um, and, you know, the whole team. You can tell that Bayern had obviously worked on what to do once they get the ball. And, you know, Gnabry's up one wing, Davies up another, Muller, you know, Lewandowski, Sani, whatever. Like, And specifically Sani, actually, I think you can tell that he's... Uh, Nagel's going to put a lot of work into making sure that, okay, right, we're going to shift you to the left wing and we're going to make sure that you're on the end of balls rather than being the guy who's out in the wing 40 yards away from goal and asking you to beat two defenders... You know, he's realised, unlike Flick, I think, last season, that Sani is almost more of a striker or a penalty box goal scorer rather than, uh, you know, you're maybe your traditional winger. So you can, you, you, you compare that to RB Leipzig. And what I found quite interesting was that it seems to me as though Jesse Marsh is kind of trying to force a few things here. Um, you know, we all know how good Andrew Silver is. Um, you know, we all we all know how good Omo is. We all know how good Shobislai has been when he's been fit and what he can do from obviously his time in Austria. But I found it very surprising that Forsberg didn't start in this game. I found it very surprising that Poulsen didn't start in this game. Hadar as well. And maybe 
you know, Marsh might make the argument that, you know, these guys are coming back from international duty. Some of them might not be particularly fit, but it felt to me as though Marsh has already decided, he's like, right, these are the forwards that are going to be the future of RB Leipzig. These are the players that will eventually be my key players in my, you know, in, in, in his vision of what his team will look like when it's all singing and all dancing. And he's almost trying to do too much too soon. Whereas you can tell with, Nagelsmann that yeah he's brought one or two players in and he's and he's and he's kind of tweaked the formation slightly but for the most part maybe you know Gnabry or not Gnabry Sani to, uh, to, to one to one extent obviously Upamecano's came in but for the most part with Nagelsmann it's been kind of evolution rather than revolution with Marsh it feels like he's kind of just wiped the slate clean and he said right you know what Fosberg thanks for your help Paulson, you've been a real servant to his club, but now I have to pay. I have to play Andre Silva until he starts scoring goals. I have to play Shobislai on the wing until he starts scoring goals. And it and it felt to me as though uh, Bayern are taking things with a little more patience. Uh, they put a little more effort into, and because they're not ripping the, the rule book up, the team looked far more trained and far more coached. Whereas with Leipzig uh, on Saturday night, I felt like as soon as they got the ball, there was no shape. Uh, there was no kind of uh, formation or drill or tactics. Nobody really seemed to know where to run. Um, you know, the, maybe it's just because the pitch looked horrendous, but it, it honestly felt as though Campo and Limer, they didn't really know who to pass to, didn't know where to go. And it really felt, and that's what really troubled me about this Leipzig performance. It'd be one thing if they went toe to toe with Bayern and they eventually lost because. You know, Lewandowski did something that only Lewandowski can do. Fair enough, you can step away from that. But it was such a comprehensive defeat, um, and it seemed as though Lever- it seemed to me as though Leipzig were defeated before they even stepped on the pitch because they just didn't look prepared for it at all. Yeah, I would actually go along with pretty much everything you say, and um, it Campbell in particular, the handball aside. Didn't really, f- it didn't really seem that he knew what the match plan was for a while, and then he sort of gained control a little bit. And my thinking is that where Bayern have the Bayern have the advantage that in Nagelsmann they brought in a coach who can essentially just build on what Hansi Flick has done, which is a very solid foundation. I mean, he left him arguably the best club side in the world, right? Yeah, of course, Alaba is gone, Boateng is gone. Um, sure, those players have to be replaced, but you know he has very much has the coaching ability to do that and to develop the side. And slightly, he doesn't the, the tweaking that he needs to do to make Bayern look the way he wants them to play isn't much. You just move around a few guys and you develop a few other guys to to fit the profiles that you need, right? I mean, Nyansu has been has been very good for them. Upamecano has been good for them. Um, Davies is playing in a little bit of a different role that probably suits him better and then you have a kid like Musiala that you can just throw in and you just know he's going to come up with some moment of genius and Lewandowski is still Lewandowski so there isn't quite that much whereas with Leipzig it feels like they want to almost reinvent themselves to the product that they were before and I think that is hard I I, I think it, it, it does look hard it does look like the players are la- the players like and they're on board with this idea because you see it on the body language, you see it with the training, the training sessions that they, that they show, right? And like you see 
the communication, all that, that's still all there, but it feels like they are almost a little confused about what they're supposed to do at the moment. And I think that is a product of where the club is going. And I think you addressed it quite well by saying maybe Marsh is looking at some of these guys and like, well, Danny Olmo, um, when he's on, he's on, right? He's one of the, the most in-demand attacking midfielders on the planet. Dominic Soboslai, everyone wanted him, right? Andre Silva, we all thought he was going to the Premier League or to, to Spain and play for one of those big clubs there. And instead, he went for a lot of money, a lot of money to Leipzig. And um, and I think that that is enough already in terms of playing philosophy that I think they're a little confused. And I think Marsh is not really getting his ideas through. There's a great moment today during the game, Stefan, where they where they where they pass around a Spickzettel, as we call it in German, like a little little paper note where they and everyone was kind of looking at it. And I thought it was that was such a talking about soap operas again, eh? Like where which other league do you have that? Anyways, they were all looking at it, and then you could see that the the, the the face impression expressions were really interested because they all tried to figure kind of out what, what they were supposed to do. And I thought that was really, really interesting. And uh, that was exactly what I was about to bring up because uh, you, you you do get it from time to time where you know uh, the substitution comes on with a note for the captain to say we're switching from a four three three to a four four two blah blah blah. But this was so much more than that. This was a case. Forsberg of- scratched his head. Did you see that? Forsberg was actually scratching his head, like <laughs> trying to make sense of it. I, I thought it was a brilliant moment. Yeah, and it wasn't just it wasn't just a note to the captain to tell people. The note got passed around to about five or six players. And they all look just as confused as each other. And even that proves that, you know, I, you know, to be fair to Marsh, like I think Nagelsmann said before the start of the season that this Bayern team won't really be his team until maybe Christmas because that's how long it'll take before he actually has the time to speak to them. And Jesse Marsh would probably say the same thing because, you know, his his team really should know what formation he'll probably want them to switch to if they're chasing the game. But you can tell even that something that hasn't really been properly addressed in training. So, um, you know, we probably have to give them the benefit, Marsh the benefit of the doubt. He's quite fortunate, I think, that he's at a club in Leipzig where they still don't really have the expectations at the club to, you know, be mounting a title challenge from week one. Uh, you know, I think if Leipzig are maybe come Christmas time, they're maybe fifth or sixth in the league. I don't think, for example, Leipzig are going to be seriously considering sacking Marsh. Um, so, Whereas if he was doing this at Dortmund, uh, I think it would be a different story. But, you know, I, 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 like I tweeted after the game, I think I, I still think he will get it right eventually, but it just depends how many points will drop before this team kind of click into his becoming his team, you know? Yeah, I think here maybe the match plan, uh, the match schedule will work in his favor. And we talked about what what's next. Of course, like Man City is next in the Champions League. That's hard. But in the league, the, the run-in is actually quite easy. And, um, one of the Leipzig blogs um, tweeted this, um, pointing out, and I, I think this is this is important to point out. And they were saying, and they tweeted this in German. This is from Rote Brause blocker. Uh, three points after four games, or to stay calm, uh, one point one point less than we had against the same opponents last season. So. You know, he is on the same track than Julian Nagelsmann. I think the timing is bad because it's in the beginning of the season. But overall, he's on the same track than than Julian Nagelsmann was last year. Of course, if you want to finish one position further up, improve the side, which is to finish first, 
you can't really afford this kind of run in either and you can't really afford a start of the season like that but i i think you know when you look at the we, we looked at the schedule um what's next for them and you know the next opponent in the league is Köln, right and then i think they have uh if i'm not mistaken they have Hertha, and then it's then uh, after that it's Bochum, and then after that is Fürth, and I think those games are all winnable for them, and they actually must win games. And I think if they put together a really nice run of form um, through that, I think the start is quickly forgotten. But um, my final point, maybe on this, before we talk about the title race in itself, and whether there is going to be one, and who else could maybe come in. I, I think, you know, maybe we have to leave Leipzig alone for a while and see if they can actually still challenge for the title. I, I personally think they're kind of out. But if we go by that assumption, who else are we looking at? Like, I mean, it is Dortmund now, isn't it? It's always Dortmund. Like, and this year, it has to be Dortmund. They have the team to challenge Bayern. But for Bayern to be really, truly challenged and maybe finally dethroned, I think there needs to be someone else out there too. And I was kind of wondering, is that... Who's that going to be? Is it maybe Wolfsburg? Is Mark van Bommel, you know, the guy who can't count substitutions and the Dave Bepokal spiel, is is he the guy to, to do it? I mean, their start has been perfect. They have. You know, I was tweeting today saying um, <laughs> Mark van Bommel's complete domination of the Bundesliga rumbles on. Um, you know, and it's, it's almost like he's he, he collected all these newspaper clippings and tweets and social media remarks um, of people kind of turning their nose up at Wolfsburg hiring him as a manager and he's just, he's decided you know what, I'm going to prove them all wrong uh, because Wolfsburg I was going to say they haven't put a foot wrong they, they, they literally have because they got kicked out of the German Cup because they, they, a player who shouldn't have played stepped onto the pitch, um, but besides that um, in the league they've been outstanding um, it it, it, it <laughs> If I did have one uh, kind of concern, it's that they've maybe had a very easy start. Uh, you know, they played Bochum, who are obviously a recently promoted team. Hertha Berlin, who, as far as I can tell, probably going to be fighting relegation this season. Obviously, we go out to Firth today, uh, another promoted side. Uh, the, only t- the only really decent team that they've had to come up against are RB Leipzig. And as we've kind of talked about, they're not exactly firing all cylinders right now. Um, so I think we probably will have to wait and see how they do. But at the same time, um, I kind of look at that Champions League group they're in with Lille, Sevilla and Salzburg. And I think, you know, I think they could, I, I think they could get out of that group. Um, I think Sevilla. Oh, they will. I think Sevilla. That, they have to. Yeah. The squad that they have. Yeah. Right. And that's the thing, you know, so um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hold. I'm not holding my breath at the moment because, I think we still have to wait and see how they can do against the kind of bigger sides, but um, they've been very professional. They haven't put a foot wrong in the Bundesliga so far. Uh, I think they might be quite dark horses to get out of that group in the, in the Champions League. Suddenly, if they do, there's a really good fuel, fa- good fuel factor. And obviously, the key thing is that they just held on to so many impressive players. I really genuinely thought, and I've probably said this in the podcast a few times now uh, this season, I really expected a huge number of those kind of stars uh, to move on uh, Obviously, when Glasner moved on himself, so uh, it, it, it's 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 really impressive that Wolfsburg managed to hold on to him. And on top of that, managed to managed to spend a decent amount of money making uh, investments and bringing in reinforcements as well. And that you'd probably argue they probably have maybe the third or fourth, fifth, maybe best 
squad in the division. Um, but so far, they've done very well, and I wouldn't be surprised. I think they probably are. I think we probably are looking at a team that, that should be finishing top four this season, at least. Uh, yeah, I would go along with that. Uh, and definitely also a team that could take points of Bayern Munich, you know. And I actually, I would put Bayer Leverkusen in that category too. I think Bayer Leverkusen can take points of Bayern Munich. I think they, they have done a lot of things right. And I think there is competition there. And the question is just, as always, we, we know this more than anyone else. Are they going to be consistent enough? And I guess um, time will tell, Stefan. Um, unfortunately, though, we're out of time. Time flies. Um, it's been been a great show. Great having you back on, um, as always. Um, maybe, you know, is there anything you want to shout out before we, we call it a day? Uh, just that um, sparkling water is disgusting and um i'm sorry if that offends if i'm sorry if that offends if that offends the entire (laughs) generation that offends the entire german nation and i can only apologize but you know you should all drink some good old highland spring scottish natural water and then 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 you can see what real water tastes like and you before you drink it you should put it in a soda stream to make it all right um, that's my final regard on that. Um, that's it from the Bundesliga Gegenpressing Podcast this week. Until next week, auf Wiedersehen. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.